Hello and welcome to a, another episode of the Construction Corner Podcast. I'm Dylan. I'm your host, joined with my blue collar badass, Matt. How's it going, my friend? What's up, man? Things are good here. It is uh, is an icy tundra today, four degrees, a balmy four degrees when I left for work this morning, but the sun came out and uh, and progress is still still happening in the construction industry in southeastern Michigan. So it's great, man. How are you doing? Hey man, so long as you got uh, some projects under roof, right? That's uh... that's right. <laughs> Winter's that's right. We actually we actually planted it this year, so we have two that are that are heated by by all all this time. So it's nice. We got one outside, but it's earthwork, and they're in heated cabs, so they don't mind. <laughs> they might even be opening those doors. Yeah, so much heat. for sure. Ah <laughs> uh, man, well today, guys. I have a, a good story to kind of kick this off is with uh, maintenance, really, and service technicians. So as I think I talked about on here, we, uh, <laughs> our oven went to complete garbage in uh, middle of December, like the power company messed up our motherboard, all that kind of good stuff. So <laughs> needed to get a new oven. And while in and of itself, not a huge deal, right? Going on vacation, scheduled delivery after uh, Lowe's managed to, well, so they, they tried to deliver our driveway was icy. So they, you know, cause they're actually going to carry it into the house. So they, you know, didn't want to back up the driveway or the guy couldn't drive whatever. And then, uh, so they, they took it back, managed to lose it somehow in the next week between Lost the whole uh, oven. Yeah. Like couldn't find it. Uh, <laughs> didn't know where it was, you know, and the guy doing deliveries is like, I don't, you know, let me go check if it's here. And my wife was the one that called and she's like, what do you mean check if it's here? And uh, sure enough, they go, they go out there, not in the warehouse. It's like, well, why'd you sell our oven? <laughs> what, what the hell? We paid for it. You know, like, that's what, okay. So, you know, whatever. All right. You know, what else can we get? So she went in and picked out another one that was like close enough or they marked it down to, you know, be the same price. Cause again, we'd already like paid for it. So, okay, yeah. fine. When can you get it out here? And they're like, well, we only do, do deliveries in your area on this date. And it's like, what, you know, you, what do you mean? I'm like, no, you're going to come sooner and deliver it. So, okay, fine. They got it out here. So we get it out and then, uh, and we kind of knew this was coming. So with, uh, natural gas ovens, they all have, or with, you know, gas ovens, they come with natural gas orifices installed, so we had to change it all out for propane. It's like, oh, okay. So we did all the burners, did the one in the oven. And then like, you got to connect the thing. And it's like, oh, I don't have like, they're, it's two uh, like female connectors. It's like, oh, this isn't going to work. And then they talk about like some PSI stuff. And I'm like, oh shit, you know, I don't have a gas gauge or I'm like, I don't know how, you know, this stuff works. Like, do I need to adjust it? Like, is the adapter right? And whatever. So that she called the, propane company turns out they've got a maintenance department like a service fleet and talking to the guy today when he came out they're the only one in the county that has actual service techs they've got five of them uh which means that they're like busy all the time doing stuff uh <laughs> but he came out and you know like help basically finish the installation he's like oh cool looks like you've done all this it's right i'm like good <laughs> that's great i just don't want to like deal with you know propane and gas and like i can't see this stuff like am i going to burn down the house right like i don't want any of that to happen and just you didn't want to know be right 
like okay got a guy that knows what the hell he's doing to come out and do this stuff so and then the other thing that i didn't realize so within the uh burners so like when you turn down to low it was still like dude it would have cooked a chicken you know like on the low setting still like and i could have just singed the thing without a pot you know it's just like three inch flame coming off the burner on low and he's like well that's not so good uh but in them you basically stick a little screwdriver in and you could turn the burner down to where it actually simmers you can adjust the burner settings uh behind <laughs> you, right like <laughs> you don't say <laughs> it's like you can actually simmer stuff now so he adjusted all the settings i'm like shit i wouldn't have known that you know it's you know like i get yelled at for scorching the pans or something it's like well it's not my fault clearly um but that's so again the whole thing was that a service technician actually came out actually you know fix the thing was really good about the stuff and the our propane company had people to do that so the whole point of this story really is to say that like having people to come and do like those maintenance things and a pro, like again they're the only ones in the county that have this is and you know everybody's on propane out here because with as much power outage like that's a good way to keep heat uh in your house so with that like having these service techs really adds a lot of value to the company it's like well i'd never want to go to another propane company now because they i know if something breaks i can call somebody and they'll send somebody out right like it's a very good service that they provide and i think that sometimes we forget those little personal human touches for you know and again this is propane but it goes for anything right for plumbing hvac like electrical any service type of work that having people having you know good guys to do it even like lowe's having a delivery service right to like bring this stuff to us is a huge benefit that i think we often overlook because we have people on site we have people do things in construction project but the service aspect of a lot of those things is just as important as the actual building and installation of whatever it is that we're doing it absolutely is because that's where people get their level of comfort from right when they know that they can call you or me or the propane guy and and when something goes wrong they come out and fix it that's that's a level of comfort it's one less thing that they need to worry about um kind of unpacking your story a little bit first of all I, I was just noting the irony in it that the guys from lowe's who come out to do it weren't equipped or couldn't or didn't want to or whatever to to do all that shit themselves uh, and that the propane company could i never would have even thought to call the propane company for something like that so that's good on your wife for for doing it and then good on them for having the service that's that's pretty neat we um we're on electric heat here we have a geothermal so it doesn't really matter until the power goes out and then it's we're out of luck we have a propane tank but it's it only does the pool heater currently and to pipe everything in we would have to go through all of our existing appliances much like you did and swap out all the orifices and all the other shit and i just i've never wanted to do that but it, <laughs> it's good that they come out and do that sort of thing it, it reminds me you know we just got new furniture uh, upstairs right before the holidays. It was my wife and my kind of gift to each other. We got new couches and chairs and stuff. Uh, and they have these little like, it's like a brass medallion thing. It's real small, like an inch big. And it's nailed into the wood leg on each piece at the bottom. It has like a little branding on it. Well, one of the pieces, we got 
five, six things in total. One of them, when the guys showed up, um, first of all, let me back up. We ordered this shit on like a Sunday night. We finally picked out what we wanted. We ordered it thinking it was going to be months and months and months. The next day, the dude showed up with all the furniture and installed it, which was amazing. But anyway, so we got this little medallion thing and it's, it's nailed into the wood. Well, it's missing, or, or excuse me, one of the nails is like bent in half. So it's loose and it's kind of flopping. I'm a carpenter by trade, right? Like I zeroed in on that shit immediately. I'm like, oh, we got to fix this. Well, the nails only, they're like little furniture tacks. It's like a quarter inch long. And in my repertoire of tools and fasteners and shit out here in my barn, I don't, I don't have that level of, 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 uh, of fastener. So we called the company and said, hey, everything's great. Furniture's comfy. It looks great in the house. We love it. But we're, we need one of these little nails. Can you throw it in an envelope and, and mail it to me? And they're like, they didn't understand what we were talking about first. So that was, we had to, you know, go through the process and let them figure out what the hell it was. But then they're just like, well, we can't do that. So what the fuck do you mean you can't do? I, it, it looks stupid now because it's hanging there. And the guy goes, well, we'll, some, we'll send somebody out. I go, no, man, that, no. Like, listen, I'm, I'm handy enough to put a nail in. It will literally take somebody 15 seconds once they get here. And it's a, probably a 45 minute drive at least to get from wherever they are to my house, they wouldn't do it. So um, a couple of days ago was the appointment. <laughs> this poor dude drove for an hour from there, wherever they home base shows up. He walks inside. I was working from home that day. So my wife and I are talking with him and he's like, all right, so what's going on? I hear that the, uh, all the, the staples are ripping out of the back of the couch. And we're like, no, dude, <laughs> we're missing a quarter inch nail that holds on the little medallion. He looks at me and goes, are you serious? I said, hold on, hold on. We, we tried. We tried over and over again to just have him put it in the damn bag and mail it. So long story short, the guy was rightfully upset at his company. He didn't have the damn little nail on his truck. So he, he looked through every bin in his truck for this little thing. But much like the same, on the same line of the story, you know, he was out here to service it. He, he recognized that something wasn't right. Like the customer wasn't happy. So after getting through all the, the tumultuous beginning there, he was supposed to go back and he was going to get a whole bag of them and ship them to me. So we had extras. I have yet to see them. So if we don't get them, we'll be making another call and he'll probably be making another drive. But it was, it was amazing to me. Like they, they pushed somebody in a, in a van and shoved them out the door to go drive an hour one way just to come and keep me happy. I'd already paid for it. It's already delivered. I've already been sitting on it. You know, they could eat just as easily say, screw you. But it, it was cool. I mean, it, it was ridiculous, but it was cool that, that they did it. And so I'm going to buy furniture from anybody else. Probably not. You know, I, I might buy stock in little miniature nails, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know how much money's in that, but uh the, I mean, but that's the point, right? Like you're never going to do business with somebody else because they've treated you so well, even after the sale that, yep. and they delivered it. I mean, from purchase to installation was a day, which you thought it would be forever. Like they've gone over above and beyond in all of their service. Oh yeah. I mean, it was, it was not, the guys showed up at like seven or eight o'clock at night the next day after we ordered it and you've met my wife she's like making them food and you know giving them plates of food and drinks and stuff and so they were happy about it it's a win-win 
and we had new furniture like 12 hours after we ordered it. They, even moved, they moved my old couch down to the basement for me. I threw them, I threw them some change on the side because it's just a thank them, but like I couldn't move that thing by myself. So it, it's good to see. And we, and we see it, you know, kind of tying it back to construction. We, we see it a lot. You know, we, once you commission a building and you fire everything up, especially on a, a new build, you know, stuff goes wrong. Like, you know, the, the building's got to work its kinks out and that can take some time and to have, you know, we know which trades, which subs of ours have really good service departments and to have those guys on board and, and able to either, if I have to call them or if the owner calls them directly, knowing that they're going to run out there and take care of the problem, they're going to, you know, go deliver the quarter inch nail, whatever it may be. It's a reassuring feeling for me as a business owner. And I can pass that reassurance on to the, to the client, to the building owner. Like, listen, you know, we talked about the other day with Bill uh, Ryman about our, our one-year lifetime warranty. You know, I don't like to advertise that shit, but that's really what it is. You know, we're there to take care of the customer because they are our best marketing ever. And so whether that's service during the project or service after the project, that's a crucial component to, to business longevity. Yeah. And even like Bill was talking about, right. Five years later, he's still going to answer the call, right? Like it's yep. built it. This is ours. This is our name. You know, we're going to take care of you. And I think a lot of people forget that, right. Or don't pick up the phone, don't call, don't answer. And, you know, it's pretty detrimental to everything that you're doing. I had a subcontractor that we worked with quite a bit. This is three or four years ago and similar situation came up. You know, we had an issue with a, a previous install and it was, you know, 16, 18 months after the fact. And I called the guy and told him what was going on. And he pulled the card and said, sorry, dude, that's out of warranty. We only warranty for a year. You know, I can, I can do it, but I'm going to charge him. And I said, well, here's what we're actually going to do. Go out there and do the work. Send me the invoice. I'm going to pay it out of my own pocket and you're never going to hear from me again. And to date, we we've, we've cut and severed ties completely with the guy because I get it. You know, you, you got to protect your own interests. And, and there are people who will take advantage of that, of you being nice. Right. And, and of trying to preserve the relationship. There's definitely some of those clowns out there, but for the most part, you know, people just want, they want what they paid for. They want it to be right. And if you can't help them keep it that way, then you have no place here. Yeah. And in there, like there's, it's fine lines with a lot of this stuff, guys, right? There's a ton of judgment, you know, baked into a lot of this. It's, you know, if the guy didn't install it right to begin with, that's one thing, right? Then he won't own his work and he's just using warranty to cover, you know, bad craftsmanship, right? This thing shouldn't go wrong in 16, 18 months. And there's like both sides of that, right? Like, okay, it's out of warranty, but is this actually a manufacturer problem or is this bad craftsman? Like there's six things a Sunday that could be wrong with it. And you're talking about it sight unseen, right? It's one thing to be yeah. going out there like, hey, what's the what's the actual problem? Let's get down to the root of it. And then like, okay, what's who's actual, like, how do we go from here? And usually we're jumping to assumptions before ever looking at it. Um, so one of the stories, I think this was Edison uh, did this, but he would, in interviewing people, he would uh, 
they'd go out to lunch and he would, I think, I'm pretty sure this was Edison, but it could have been somebody else. Um, they would take him out to lunch and they'd order whatever, right? But he only conducted interviews at lunch or some food, right? Some meal. And the people that would salt and pepper their food before they ever tasted it, he would never hire. Right? Because you're it. making assumptions. Yeah. It's, it's an assumption made that before you ever taste anything but and this goes to like a lot of these points of somebody jumping to like whose fault is is it what's the problem let's before we ever investigate anything and that creates a lot of undue problems before you just like hey can we get to the root of it let's go look at it you know let's figure out what the deal is or send me some pictures or whatever then you can make a rational like judgment from there uh, but far too often we just we jump to something that is really just a bad assumption. Yeah, and I think that's a <clears throat> that's kind of an ugly side of human nature, right? <laughs> we all want to blame somebody else right off the jump, whether or not you vocalize it or not. That's a that's a different story. But you know, I, I think it's hard to it's hard to accept fault, or it's hard to accept that you know sometimes things just break or you know, don't function properly. And they're, you know, they're all, they're, there's, there's machines and there's, you know, mechanical bits and pieces and all these systems that we install and, you know, moving parts have the propensity to not move anymore. And it's really nobody's fault, but, you know, especially when you tie dollars to that fault, then people get kind of wishy-washy and, and they can get downright mean about it at sometimes like, you know, nobody wants to pay, you know, let's say, the HVAC unit blows a belt at uh, month 13 and it's going to cost my HVAC company money to send their service tech out there to, you know, pull the machine, pull the rooftop unit apart, climb in there, supply the parts, all this stuff. So there's a, there's a definite, a definite balance, right? Um, now, do they pass that cost on to the owner? Because they legitimately contractually could, you know, rightfully could, or do they swallow it and, and just take it as a loss and, and hope that, that that goodwill towards another human, towards another client is going to reward them with future business? I can tell you the folks that we work with a lot, you know, opt for the latter within reason. I mean, there's, there's times and places when it's just enough's enough, okay? But, you know, I think it's always good to err on the side of, of giving a little more, you know, give, 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 and you'll, you'll get, get, get type theory. Yeah, it's, man, I, like I have mixed feelings on some of this too, because I've, I've been around long enough for, you know, we'll get you on the next one, right? And then the next one never shows up, you know? And I think a lot of guys that have been in the industry long enough too, like that you all know what I'm talking about, right? Where, hey, we got plenty of projects in the pipe and we'll give you all this work. And it's like, I'll believe it when I see it, right? Yeah. So there's, there's that side of it too. Now, if it's a long standing client, yeah, man, like you preserve that relationship over everything else. You still go above and beyond, but I think in construction, like it's like, you still want to give, like, I still want to believe that people are going to do that and go above and beyond. But at the same time, like, you know, why did you actually use me on this project? Was it because you had a desperate need and you're going to go back to the guys you've always been using or was it, like you really want to give this a shot and uh, opportunity 
and then that's a different deal, right? So I think there's a ton of nuance in this because so often, you know, like they're going to go back to the guys they always use and their buddies and like, are you actually in, or was this like, you had no other option than to use me on this project and you have no intention of coming back, but you feed the same line of BS to everybody. And that's, I think the, there's, you got to know who you're dealing with. And I, I totally agree and going above and beyond. And I do that in a lot of things, but at the same time, you know, and not to paint the whole industry bad, but there's a notoriousness of, you know, we'll get you on the next one type of uh, thing. And it's, again, I, I prefer to go above and beyond and do more for people, but there is a line and there's, and this is probably my old age, there's a lot more nuance to it than, you know, I thought when I was 25, right? <laughs> Well, there is, and I'll throw up the, the flag. I mean, it, this is a this is a problem with old school general contractors, right? That is the stereotypical GC. I'll get you on the next one, or hey, I need some help. I need it right now. We'll take care of you, and then they never do, or the next one never comes, or like you said, you go back to using your buddy, and you know it drives me nuts. I, I follow a couple people on LinkedIn who eighty percent of their content I really like. I really mesh with and, and I interact with them, but the other 20% is nonstop bitching about general contractors. And while I get it, I get where they come from. Cause I I've seen this sort of behavior. It's also, I feel it's my duty to stick my foot in, in the mix or, or stick my face in the, in the mix, one of the two and, and open my mouth and say, all right, Hey, it doesn't have to be like that. You know, we're not all assholes. You can't, you can't broad brush it just like anything else, but you know, there's also that nuance of bringing a new guy as a GC of bringing a new trade, a new subcontractor into the mix. And, you know, we seek to, to, to build our team. I talk about our team all the time and our subs, our trade partners are all part of that team. And so when you start fostering that team mentality, it can be counterproductive to bringing new folks in because it's, it's hard then to say, all right, here's an opportunity that I think would be a good fit for somebody else, which means I got to take my team member now and, and move them out of the way on this project. And, and in a perfect world, there's another project waiting for them and you have enough to fill, but you know, even with us as you know, we're, we're growing in leaps and bounds, but we're still doing three, four projects a year you know, maybe, maybe five. Um, that's not a lot of opportunity to bring in a new list of, of people to, to try them out. And so I think you get that, that back and forth because the sub's going to think the same thing. Why are you picking me on this one? Are you just trying to screw me? Did I, did my estimating department really screw up the number and you're going to hold my feet to the fire? Or are you, you know, doing what you preach about and you're actually trying to expand your team and expand your network and you're a good person. You, you, you got to make that decision as a, as a sub, just like you do anybody. I mean, we got to make the same decision with clients. You know, why are you choosing us? Why are you, you hiring us? Is it because I screwed up and, you know, I bid a two-story building and it's really three stories on the drawings or, you know, what, what, what's your motivation? What's your, in, your intrinsic belief about this project and this potential relationship that's driving you to pick me? And that's, you know, risk of doing business too. I'm not crying about it, you know, but it, it's definitely something to consider. And, and I, can, I can see the hesitancy in some of the trades 
to go and just do free work, you know, go and do the service calls and the maintenance or, or the warranty work rather and not charge for it. My guys that I've worked with for 20 years, it's not even a question, you know, not even a, a hesitation on their end. No problem. If, if Matt calls, he's doing it because he needs it. We're going to help him out. And we take care of them on the flip side. But, you know, the new HVAC guy that I'm going to meet with on Monday, I can't expect him to have that same mentality yet. We've never done a project together. Well, and that's, that's spot on, right? Like the guys that you have a 20 year relationship with know what to expect and vice versa. And the new guy you have to treat as a new relationship, right? Like go back to the start of those relationships with everybody else. And like, how did you treat them then? And what, what level of expectation should you have? Right? Like no two are the same. And I think we broad brush a lot of this and it's, you know, it happens in the design world too, where everybody gets beat down on fee or beat down and whatever. Like I was talking to a buddy uh, this week and he's an architect and working on projects and they were doing a design build. It wasn't, you know, like the actually led as a design build project. Led <laughs> is like a typical design bid build, right? And uh, where the, this was supposed to be where the the subs were going to do all the shop drawings and finalize CDs and all that kind of stuff. And they didn't. And the architects were finalizing all the details and doing all that in-house. And one of the questions came up internally, was like, Hey, did we like, this wasn't in our contract, you know, for architecture to do this. Uh, did we ever have like the fee like negotiation or revisiting that deal of like, Hey, this wasn't what we agreed to, uh, you know, we need additional money for all this time we spent because the sub was supposed to be doing it, right? And things like that, right? But it's a lot of nuance, a lot of, you know, who are you talking to? What's the relationship? How long have you had it? What can you rightfully expect? What's contractually obligated? And not being afraid to talk about money, not being afraid to talk about the contract. And even if you bring it up to say, hey, man, we'll do it this time, but per our contract, this is what, you know, was actually agreed to. I think those are all fair in terms of like, Hey, this is, we'll take care of it, but this, to be clear, this is not within our rights. And a lot of that, I think it's brushed over. And then the other thing that I think sometimes, or I know that doesn't happen is the agreements that like we as uh, project executives or owners that make with other owners, other firm owners, it doesn't get disseminated to the team as to why decisions were made. And then in the field, you know, somebody's bitter about a decision or doesn't know and gets blindsided by something. You know, there's nothing worse than seeing your company win a new project and you find out about it in the newspaper. Right? And that's, you know, a lot of this gets happened or what's in the contracts and those agreements or wins or things like that don't ever get disseminated to the team. And that breeds a lot of resentment, frankly, across everybody. So the, this whole point about open communication is really what we're getting at is have an open dialogue. There's a lot of nuance in here and you can't broad brush a lot of these strokes, even though as much as we'd like to, uh, you will shoot yourself in the foot more times than not by doing that. Yeah, and it's... <clears throat> You know, it ties back to a topic we've we've talked about a lot over the last year and, and that, you know, sometimes you just have to have tough conversations. And 
hashing out scope on a contract is it's never fun, right? I, I can't think of a single time that I've been going and having one of those conversations with an owner, with a sub, with a lawyer that ever I once thought this is, this is actually enjoyable. It sucks, right? It's uncomfortable, but it, it has to be done. And you have to be to play in this game, this crazy game of, of construction where contracts are what we live and die on. You have to be able to have those conversations. You got to be able to communicate effectively. You got to know what hills are yours to die on, right? You have to know where, where your boundaries are. And, but it's all that, that art mixed with science. You can't, the stodgy old assholes are falling by the wayside in construction, whether the design guys, you know, the, the old arrogant asshole architect or the, the crusty effer plumber who doesn't like anyone and they can't talk to each other because they're of different social statuses. And those people are going away. The industry is changing. If you can't take all of those elements and kind of blend them into a pot and, and pour out some concoction that, that looks appealing and tastes good to everybody, you're going to lose, you know, you're just going to lose. And I've got boundaries. I, I just sat through two months of negotiating a contract for a project and we got attorneys involved and it was a, it was an absolute headache. It was not fun. There wasn't a single part of it. That's fun. I haven't received my bill from my attorney yet. That will not be fun when I see it, but we stood our ground. I stood my ground. And at the end of the day, whether or not we signed a contract, it doesn't matter. I know that I'm going to be able to look at my team and say, okay, either we're entering into this agreement and here are the terms. Don't worry. I, I fought for us and I got this, this, and this, or we're not doing this because I wasn't going to put us all at risk and put you folks in the field or in the office way behind the eight ball before we even started. Just letting everybody know puts you at such an advantage, right? On either side of that decision. Cause you know, word gets around one way or the other, <laughs> what's going on. Yeah. And it's, you know, who's controlling the narrative are the guys in the field controlling the narrative or are you as PX as owner, as project manager controlling the narrative. And those are two very different dialogues. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And as a, as a leader, you damn well better be able to communicate the actual narrative to your team. And you got to know that your team's not spewing it out the other end. Right. I mean, you, you have to have, you have to build that consistent communication from top to bottom. Everybody needs to know what the vision is. Everybody needs to know what the obligations are in, in a contract. They need to know, they need to represent you and your company and your, your core values. Right. I mean, we, we could beat this to death. We're, we're uncovering a lot of, of aspects here, but it really comes down to how you, how you form your teams internally or externally. And, and you know, the, the attributes that, that you have to look for in, in your new teammates, you know, we, it's, it's too competitive of a market. It's too competitive of an industry to not be very careful about who you bring into your inner circle. Yeah. I mean, and this goes for everybody that you use vendors, everybody up and down the chain. And 100%. then, so in that, like, and this kind of goes into the next point that we want to talk about today is like, you've got to meet people. <laughs> you've got to find ways to meet other and realistically guys, like 
the reason that I started this podcast three years ago was because most of construction never talked to each other, right? In the same town, you had firms that thought you had the secret sauce. And if you talk to another engineer at another firm, you were a tra trader and should be hung and, you know, quartered at dawn, right? Like that was, that was how like, <laughs> am I like, that's a real thing, right? Like, I mean, it still is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you talk to another contractor or, you had a conversation with another, you thought everybody was jumping ship. And for the most part, you're probably right. But it's like, there was no open dialogue ever. So you had this incestuous thing of, you know, only going to talk to people in the company. And those guys have been here for 40 years. And well, you don't get anything new. <laughs> you don't have any like improvement when you're learning from the same guys that have been there for 40 years that learned from the guy that was there 40 years ago who was carving drawings on stone. Like you're not, you're not learning anything. So the whole point of this is like, you've got to expand your network. You've got to get out and meet people. You know, if you're a contractor, probably meet people, you know, either if you can't do it in your local market, in other markets, in groups across the U S and there's a lot of good people out there, or just even in your local area, like other business owners or people that are doing the same thing that you want to do and get better, right? Like you can learn from other industries. And frankly, that's probably where the most impactful lessons are going to come from is from people outside of whatever you're in, right? Whether you're a specialty contractor, whether you're a GC, whether you're an architect and engineer, right? The most impactful things are going to come from outside of whatever it is that you do. And so by meeting people, by getting out and talking to people, learning about you know, different ways that people communicate or market or lead, you're going to have different things to do, which means you're ultimately going to get better because it's different than what you've always done and what the industry's always done. So I find that a lot of us do not get outside of our circle, you know, whatever that might be, whether it's the guys at the bar or whatever circle you might be uh, part of, you know, I've had a lot of conversations here and bring a ton of guests. So we do have like a lot of guests lined up for you guys this year and in doing that right I'm, we're getting out we're meeting new people we're going to bring on new people for for you uh our listeners for the show and in that you learn new perspectives new ways of doing things and you know like having bill on and talking about social media right that's probably something you haven't heard or seen done by a person in construction and bill's one of the better guys i've seen doing it it's, it's disruption of thought, right? Because when you, when you stay in your tub of vanilla ice cream all the time and you never get into the sprinkles or the strawberry flavored or anything different, you, you get very, you get the blinders on, right? You're a horse in the racetrack and you only do one thing one way, but you get outside of it. And I love what you said about, you know, networking with people outside of your direct industry. Like that is thought disruption it it makes you stop and be like well holy shit i could do this i could do what this guy in in architecture and, and engineering is doing in his business i could take that back to my construction company and you know nobody's doing that maybe i can affect some really good change and you know it, it's just it, it's it's constant learning right we're all we all should be constantly striving to learn and you know, that that's the name of the game here and getting different perspectives, getting with different people, 
you know, that's why Arate is so, so powerful. You know, Dylan and I were, are both in Arate. It's a, a mastermind entrepreneurial networking group at its core. And it is essential to be able to talk with people that are in your, in your industry. You know, there's not a, there's more construction guys in it now, I think, than there probably were in the past years, but it's not like construction is a, a bulk of that, of that group by any means. So you got to be able to, to network and you got to be able to talk with people. And I've learned a ton from talking with marketing guys or guys that do software, right. Or, you know, there's, there's, there's value you can exude from every conversation you have with every single person, but you got to be willing to put yourself out there and have that kind of awkward first date weirdness. And it just takes a simple intro, takes some follow-up. You know, these things aren't totally hard to do. So <clears throat> this is from The Renegade Millionaire by Dan Kennedy, who, uh, if you haven't read any of his books, you should. Um, but so the Social Security Administration back in like the 60s started collecting data on everybody and how much money they had, you know, when they retired and died. So 20% <clears throat> of people are broke. they like dead, flat broke welfare, government support, right? That is 20% of all people. And you can take it basically any population and you're going to get this. 60% struggle financially endlessly, right? They're always paycheck to paycheck. They, they have like no money uh, and don't really know what the hell they're doing. 15% uh, make a good living, right? They've got maybe a few months saved up, like they're okay. You know, they probably have their house paid for when they retire. They're not going to go on any big trips, but you know, they're going to be okay. 4% are prosperous, right? Like they've probably got a year's bunch of money saved up, right? Like they can weather a storm. They're not worried, worried about paying for tires on their car, right? Like 4% of the population <laughs> is prosperous. And then 1% are rich and actually know what the hell they're doing. So you basically have 20% are going to are doing just fine and 80% are complete idiots that have no idea how to find their way out of a paperback. So when you look at your industry, right? Like if you look at what everyone, what the industry norms are, and again, we're going to apply this to construction, but this goes for everybody. If you apply the industry norms, 80% of people are complete idiots. They don't, they're, they're doing what everyone else does and they're getting the same results, which are poor at best. So if you do the opposite of what the industry norm is for the, you know, and especially in marketing and sales, you're going to do better than everybody else, right? Like if you have somebody physically answer your phone instead of those godforsaken uh, automatic answering machines to press four for Spanish, then you're going to do better than everybody else, right? Like it's, if you have a legitimate person to answer your phone, you will get more than everybody else simply because you had a person to answer your phone. Very simple thing, right? And we, there's a ton of examples up here, but this is the majority of what we're talking about, right? By meeting other people outside the industry, you're going to get different examples of how people do things, how people lead, how people grow, how people show the way to do things. And if you just do them, you will succeed. That's the key, right? You got to do it. You got to take action. You can read, you know, all of the awesome books that, that you want. You can meet all the awesome people that you want and have the, the greatest conversations. And while you're going to expand your, 
your thought processes just through osmosis, if nothing else, if you don't take that knowledge and that those tips and tricks that you learn along the way and actually implement some of them, then you're, you're just a walking sack of knowledge and, and you're never getting any better. You know, you're just going to, you're going to sit there and, and do nothing with yourself. So you got to get out. You got to have the conversations. You got to listen. That's the biggest key too, is you just got to shut up and listen most of the time, but then you got to implement and you got to be creative with it because, you know, when you're sitting down and having lunch with a, I don't know, pick a profession that's not construction, you're having lunch with, with a doctor and you're having, you know, some pretty cool conversations. It's not going to be necessarily a hundred percent easy to translate what the doctor's doing in his business to what you can do in your business. And this is a shit example. So, I'm, but, but you get the point, like you gotta be able to take that knowledge that now and, and kind of turn it into Play-Doh, right? And once you get the, the base knowledge, then you gotta be able to squish it and move it around and roll it into little snakes and form it into something that works for you personally or for your company. And there are always ways to translate that, that knowledge, that, that transfer of thought is, it's not always the simplest, but it's, it's easy. Take some work, uh, plain and simple. Like it, it takes some work. It takes some time to ask better questions, you know, to sit down with your thoughts and think of the questions asked, right? Because the questions are more important because the questions will lead to answers. And if you just say, uh, make a statement versus asking questions, because our brain is wired to find answers. So if you make a statement, you might not believe the statement, but if you ask a question, you're going to find the answer. So if you can form and phrase better questions, you will get better answers, which will get you better results. Um, that's really the formation of all this. So at the end of the day, meet people, provide great service, do the right thing. There's a lot of nuance to all of this. And uh, at the end of the day, you'll do a lot better for it. So with that, Matt, any final words, my friend? I think we covered a lot today and it really just you know, in a kind of hippy dippy mentality, it boils down to just be a good human and you'll do a lot better, right? <laughs> whether you're providing a service, whether you're, you're providing a counseling, you know, whatever, whatever it is, if you're doing the right thing and you're, you're giving of your time and of your effort to others and you're out, you know, you're not being a hermit, right? Just, just be a damn good human and you'll do better. And frankly, this country, this world would be a lot better place. Now I'll get off my, my hippie box and, and, you know, cut my long hair and get rid of my tie dye now, but you, you get my point. Like it's, it's, it's a deeper conversation than we got into today, but that's what it relies on or that what it revolves around rather. It's just, just be a good dude, be a good person and you'll go farther. You'll do better period. On top of that, so this is this will be my final remark is doing the right thing and putting the relationship above the money will get you more money. Uh, we have a hard time with that often in construction, but the guys that have been around the longest, the guys that have done the right thing through and through, uh, stick around. You know, the guys that did it for the money uh, in short term gain, they're not always here. So the more you can do things for the relationship and putting the relationship first will be to your benefit above doing it for the money. 
then you let money own you and not you owning money. Um, so that's, <laughs> that's really my final remark on that. It's a, uh, it's a great segue in that we don't do this for the money. So there is a fee and y'all need to chip in, share the show, give us a like, give us a share, tell your friends and neighbors and coworkers and help us keep growing this. Guys, that that's the show. We're, we're here to help you. We're here to serve and tell us, tell a friend, share the show out, send a message, screenshot it, tag us on social. Be happy to reshare all that stuff. And uh, guys, thank you for listening. And that is this episode of the Construction Corner Podcast. Until next time.